This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Boris Cherniak, but you probably know him better as the incredible Boris, king of interactive entertainment. Boris is a comedy hypnotist, a motivational speaker, and an author who over his four-decade career has done over 10,000 shows and appearances. Using hypnosis and the power of positive thinking, Boris delivers a message of limitless possibilities. His autobiography slash motivational book entitled You Can Do Anything empowers the reader to achieve the impossible and make dreams a reality. Howie Mandel and Maury Povich have both played roles in Boris's career, so of course we look forward to some great stories. Welcome, Boris, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Andrew, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, where am I? Am I right now in uh, Coconut Creek, Florida, enjoying the sunshine in the middle of winter? But I divide my time uh, both between Canada and U.S., being on tour and constantly uh, being in different places worldwide. Well, I'm very jealous. you got it figured out if you're spending time in Florida. And I did want to ask, you are a Toronto guy. Are you still a Toronto guy? Are you based I'm out of Toronto? I'm still a Toronto guy, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yet I uh, have a place uh, both in Canada and U.S., calling it a center of operations from the, depending wherever I am. Most Great. of my tours literally are across Canada and U.S., so uh, it just became easier to uh, run away for a little bit of time in the wintertime. And not travel through the, through the sleek and snow and uh, fly a lot easier and not have as many delays. How's that? That's fabulous. Well, I definitely <laughs> think you got it figured out, which is great. Let's jump right in to set the scene. What is hypnosis? What is hypnosis? Hypnosis is the ability to, uh, well, I'll uh, relate more as my understanding of it. I believe that a, a mind is a computer that can be programmed and reprogrammed. So uh, if you take it from that point in time, uh, words are simply instructions uh, how to get you there. And hypnosis is my way of knowing how to get from point A to point B. I basically developed a way to access the mind uh, in the fastest form possible and figure out how to uh, set those instructions that can be become lasting and or uh, specifically what I'm all about inspirational, where people don't know, don't realize to which extent they are able to create futures in their mind. I call it prophetic thinking, where even if I'm not there, you are able to set goals, create yourself uh, something to look forward to, and then make it happen. And the more you concentrate on something, the more it uh, becomes real. I was somewhat surprised to learn, as I did some research, that there is such a thing as hypnosis credentials. Uh, is there like a governing <laughs> body? And you have these credentials, boards. Yes, I do. Uh, there's boards and guilds that uh, will actually not only certify you, but teach you how things work and why they work. So I, I'm uh, part of uh, the National Guild of Hypnotists and uh, ARCH, which is uh, the Canadian version uh, Association of Registered Clinical Hypnotherapists, 
where uh, not only uh, do they provide the proper credentials, but they also will create the ability to do it uh, the right way, if, if uh, you like. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to uh, make it accessible to the lay person because it's a way from everything from uh, neurolinguistic programming, which is a way to use words to achieve specific responses uh, and hypnosis, they uh, kind of correlate and go together. Well, before we get to all the great stories from your four decade career, it's important to go all the way back, get the Boris Cherniak story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And why don't you talk a little about your upbringing? Right. Uh, well, born in Moscow and uh, came to Canada as a little kid. Uh, I actually traveled a lot, and that's probably where the whole love for travel uh, came in. Uh, my parents, uh, when they immigrated to Canada, initially arrived in Montreal. Then they sent us to Hull, Quebec, uh, where uh, we were supposed to learn French and did. Uh, from there, my parents uh, moved, uh, and it was always job-related because we came with absolutely nothing. I'm uh, not ashamed of it. I'm proud of uh having uh, moved forward rather than uh, stayed where I am. If you have uh, the vision, the want, the acumen to want to achieve, that's exactly where it happens. So my parents moved to uh, the first place, uh, Montreal, Hull, Quebec, uh, Toronto, Owen Sound, Ontario, back to Toronto. Uh, I literally, I went to a brand new high school every year. So comedy was my way of belonging. I was the wise guy that made the joke and, uh, who uh, wants to hang around with somebody who's uh, not happy? I was a happy kid uh, with uh, a fun attitude, and uh, let's try this at least once. That was well, my uh, goal in life. Uh, so I've been trying things over and over again until I get them right. Well, huge moment in your life, Boris, was in high school. You found a book that put you onto the path of hypnotism, The Search for Bridie Murphy by Maury Bernstein, originally published in 1956. Why was this book so important to you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, the book is uh, this thick. Uh, it's uh, not a tiny book, but uh, it's a story about a gentleman. Oh, let me backtrack. Uh, I took a course at York University uh, at the time, and I had access to the York University Library. So I found the psychology floor uh, and uh, read everything, and that's where I found that book. The Search for Bridie Murphy is about a gentleman who... Uh, through hypnosis, regresses a lady past her birth. And she becomes this other character, Bridie Murphy. And Bridie Murphy uh, told him about places and facts and people. Uh, and he happens to have recorded the session uh, and writes a book about it. But uh, he was curious, all of these people, who are they? Is it uh, fact or is it fiction? And he happens to go and verify them. And they, at the end of the book, it basically states that all of those things that she told me about are true. Uh, shivers down my spine. I don't believe this. I need to know more. And that's where I went through literally many nights and many days reading everything I could at the York University Library. The books, The Search for Bridie Murphy, I finished in one night. I still remember uh, the night when my mother uh, walked into uh, the room uh, saying, are you still up at four in the morning? What the heck is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, get, get to bed. Okay, mom, I, I'll uh, do it. I'll uh, Turn the light off. She walks away. Turn it back on. Finish the book. So uh, that became the interest of my life, which to this day has not stopped. It's probably one of the most exciting things that I could find. And uh, I always said, if uh, it stops being 
fun and exciting I get out and that I, it hasn't stopped being fun and exciting. Well, in addition to your time at York, you also studied at University of Toronto, Seneca College. You did both the fields of psychology and computers. Now, mind programming and computer programming do not appear to be related, but Boris, uh, you'd suggest that they actually are related. They certainly are. And uh, just imagine you are programmed from the time that you are born, whether it's society, whether it's authority figures, everybody leaves a mark and a way of influence on your behavior, on everything that you do. Now, if others can do that, so can you. And uh, I am a big uh, supporter of uh, you can do anything. And that's uh, basically the title of everything that I do. Because whenever people said, you can't, I did. And I can't say that enough. The ability is there. Most people have not been shown how. Uh, It's just a matter of uh, getting your wits in order and uh, try and achieve. If you don't try, uh, you don't succeed. Uh, That's uh, the best adage. And uh, I've tried a lot. Some of them I did not succeed. I'm sure we can come across a few things that I can tell you about that I was not successful at. But uh, some of the stuff, even the minutia that makes you successful uh, is what makes you feel alive, makes you happy, makes you dare to achieve more. Well, you jumped into your career as a hypnotist. As a teenager, you started working at parties and get-togethers with friends. But your first paid performance was at the tender age of 17. Do you remember this first gig? You weren't, you weren't even do, old I enough do. to drink at these places, Boris. Uh, it's actually uh, absolutely true. I wasn't allowed to drink in the place. Uh, what happened, I was performing at house parties. Uh, teenagers get together, they do stuff, and I built a little bit of a show, which uh, actually uh, was sort of odd. I thought I had a, a show. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And one of the kids who was there, uh, my dad's looking for somebody to perform at his little bar. Uh, would you like to uh, do this? And uh, they'll pay you a little bit of money. And uh, a little bit of money was not even close to anything worthwhile. But my God, I was getting paid. Are you kidding me? Uh, uh, to do what I absolutely am enjoying more than anything else. And I did the show. Now, what happened in that show, <laughs> remember it very, very vividly. Halfway through, about 20-minute mark or so, I ran out of material. So when you run out of material, what do you do? I think on my feet. The show has to keep going. I repeated the material three times. But what uh, was weird about it, uh, it's something that I learned over the years uh, in, in the comedy industry called a callback. If something was funny once and you come back to it, it's funnier again then it must be a good piece of material uh, that uh, you keep writing and you expand on it. And that's exactly what happened in that show. Without knowing what was uh, going on, I was uh, doing callbacks uh, and repeating material over and over again until uh, people were literally on their floor killing themselves laughing. I mean, I didn't even know how I achieved that, but it was good. Yeah. And I walked away uh, saying this is... uh, probably one of the most amazing things. It's a hobby that I could be doing forever. Yeah. And I actually still am. Well, a very Toronto-centric location that was important in your career is Woody's Bar inside a Holiday Inn. Yeah. Uh, well, Woody's uh, is, uh, I, I've done many Woody's over the years so because Holiday Inn used to have a bunch of them. And uh, one of my first dates, recurring dates at Woody's, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, a hotel that just got turned down at uh, Holiday in Yorkdale. Mm-hmm. 
uh, right uh, right now they're building something. I'm not sure what I believe. It's uh, bigger apartment buildings. Uh, that place has been around forever. So if uh, you ever saw a little advertisement over the years, uh, I, I still have a photocopy of uh, the first ad. By the way, mm. incredible. Uh, you refer to uh, me being called incredible. Boris is not completely by choice. And uh, every time somebody <laughs> promoted me, put it in the paper, uh, any kind of an advertisement, uh, I was incredible, stupendous, amazing. And eventually I stuck with one that truthfully would, uh, I didn't mind as much. How was that? Uh, because yeah. it was not really, I started performing it just as Boris. And uh, it's uh, going back to the days of uh, one person names, Cher, Oprah, right? So I wanted to be one of those as I'm performing. Yeah. I want people to remember just one name. And Boris is unique enough, yet even some would uh, involve Boris and Natasha. And, uh, <laughs> a little call back to uh, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. I, I even had an agent who got me and Natasha to uh, do the pointing and uh, all of the stuff <laughs> for it. But uh, she was kind of useless in that sense uh, where... <laughs> Uh, she was just standing there, and I needed uh, a helper, somebody who infused comedy, so that's where that did not last as long. Well, you certainly uh, read my mind, because I was going to ask you how you came up with The Incredible Boris, and that makes me think of the amazing Kreskin. Have you had any interactions with that gentleman? And by the way, he's still alive. He's 88 years old now. Yes, uh, we actually keep in touch. I have him as a friend on Facebook, uh, but uh, Kreskin and I, I went to see him as a kid at some point in time and in awe and Kreskin is phenomenal uh, he's a big star in his own right uh, yet you don't realize how big he is as a person until you meet him because what he does uh, he uh, grabs your hand uh, to shake and hi how are you nice to meet you and then he pulls you right in and uh, I'm assuming it's because uh, of uh, the thick glasses he wants to see you a little bit closer <laughs> but uh, he pulls right in but does not let go and keeps shaking for probably about a minute or so so if you ever meet Kreskin, I, I implore you to experience that, where uh, <laughs> you shake his hand and any uh, kind of uh, distance between you and him disappears, and he's your best friend and you're in his space until he finally lets go. Yeah, and Kreskin and I, oddly enough, so I went to see him as uh, a teenager, probably about 19, I was already performing at the time, uh, got a chance to meet him, yet many years later, we were hired uh, both on the same bill where uh, the Kreskin uh, was doing mentalism and I was doing uh, my hypnosis show. So it was uh, great to have it uh, come around completely full circle where uh, I was in awe and uh, eventually we're on the same bill together. Well, I find it interesting that in addition to being a performer, Boris, you're also a entrepreneur, a businessman. You opened your own comedy club, Comedywood, November 1995. You eventually added a second location. So you had uptown location, downtown location. How'd you like being the boss and running your own business? Oh, uh, that was a dream come true, literally, because uh, uh, for many uh, years, people, uh, every time I would say something, ooh, I would love to have a place of my own. Uh, where I could jump on stage anytime I wanted to. And uh, sadly, it doesn't really work that way, uh, where it's leisurely, there's a table waiting for you, sir. Go ahead and sit down and watch the show, <laughs> especially when you're involved in the running of the business. It was probably the best time as far as an entrepreneur in my life where I was able to oversee every side of it and uh, have all of the comics. Uh, by the way, 
pretty well anybody that you know and or see on television who's a superstar, a Canadian superstar, has gone through my room at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, comedy what was a dream uh, made a reality. The uh, uptown location held 400 people. The downtown had 200. Uh, the downtown uh, when I closed just a little after 9-11, so just because if you remember how the times were, people were not in the mood to be entertained. Uh, so I uh, had that vision as far as, okay, we'll concentrate on one and keep it uh, going the way it should be, rather than uh, spread ourselves too thin trying to make it uh, work. And uh, the Bluren Avenue was a great uh, spot, which housed many wonderful comedians. But the Uptown was my strength, where I grew up. And uh, Bathurst and Steels, uh, I brought in acts like Jackie Mason without having to advertise. I put a sign up front saying, Jackie Mason is coming uh, for two and a half weeks. Uh, it's sold out because uh, Jackie Mason died. No, but those brothers. Uh, he uh, sold out. Uh, to, uh, never mind. We had complaints that we're overcrowding the, pl- uh, the space because every night it was uh, too uh, busy. Yet uh, when they came in, yes, you're right. We counted all of the people. Uh, everything is proper. So, you know, 400 people standing in the parking lot when you've never really seen that many uh, is a lot, especially two shows a night. Right when the second uh, show is waiting uh, and wrapped around the corner, that kind of stuff. But as far as Canadians, I was all about. Nobody really gave me a stage to uh, develop my act. And some of the people, uh, and I uh, am going to be straight and forward. I cannot take uh, any credit for any of their talents. They went up on stage. All I helped them do uh, is give them stage time and maybe a pointer or two. Uh, yet uh, they have all of the talent in the world. I was just able to recognize that talent. And well, uh, some of these people, I, I can just keep going. Well, I'm going to ask you about some names. I'm going to give you the names, Boris. And first thing I'm going to say, Jackie Mason at Bathurst and Steels. That's a no-brainer. That's That sounds like... Yeah, uh, uh, that was uh, <laughs> the biggest coup uh, completely. Uh, so, yes. But but he he was a bit of a diva, if I understand correctly, or at least his contract uh, portrayed him as one. <laughs> Always. Well, Jackie is an, well, was an interesting fella. Brilliant, brilliant on stage. At the time, he was uh, practicing up for his uh, Broadway show. So that was my reason of bringing him into uh, the area. And uh, I drove him back and forth. So I actually got a chance to spend quite a lot of time with Jackie talking about the material that he just delivered on stage. But every night, uh, talking about a diva. Uh, Jackie wanted a tape of his performance of that night uh, to take with him. Uh, and so I would give him a tape at the end of the night. And uh, while we're driving downtown to his hotel, because I would uh, take him back and forth, uh, we talked about the material, what worked, what didn't, to what extent. The next day, I swear to you, uh, he did not sleep at all. He couldn't have. Because the next day he brought in a brand new set. So if you saw Jackie at that moment, those two weeks, none of the shows, and I mean none of the shows, were exactly the same. Can't say uh, how much time uh, exactly, but it was a brand new show every night. That's a diva in the good sense. But in the other sense, he had a very particular snack uh, regimen that uh, had you running all (laughs) over. Uh, absolutely. And uh, that snack, uh, I'm just trying to remember what the snack was. 
uh, doesn't make a difference, but we had uh, every performer uh, that comes in will have a writer, meaning all of the different little things that you would find in the green room, uh, all of the little uh, tiny uh, things that you either negotiate beforehand or uh, it's a way I have the same uh, in my writers as well. It's a way for a performer to look through uh, and see if the uh, person that engaged you actually cared enough to read the contract and the little addendums uh, to see if you will be happy uh, at the end. Uh, Like perfect example, a performer would have vegetable trays in their writer just because you get off a plane. And I'm talking as a performer at this point in time, you didn't get uh, the time to stop and eat something and uh, you need energy to go on stage. Uh, You may have arrived in a limo that you changed in on the way over and almost I've had this situation happen and run on stage, uh, but something to grab on the way to the stage and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, Jackie has a few snacks that were not even available in Canada. So uh, we had to send uh, people to Buffalo to buy some of the snacks that uh, were required uh, for his appearance. And uh, the kicker apparently was uh, they they remained unopened. (laughs) They usually do, believe it or not, uh, from the vegetable. Uh, I actually, and uh, if you read my writers, there's a little clause uh, at the bottom that says, uh, I require a T-shirt with a venue logo, meaning whoever I perform for, this is uh, my way of remembering where I've been. And uh, a little unreasonable thing to see if people have read the contract. Uh, Whether I get it or not is not always uh, an issue. I'm not always sticky. uh, Well, I need this. No, it's uh, to make sure that the person handling uh, your appearance has taken care of all the little details, whether the microphone is uh, there or they have to get it for you last second. uh, And you learn it over time. I've uh, done this. One of the colleges I have performed in my very early days where I arrived and there's a thousand people in the audience, but the person that booked me uh, says, here's the microphone. There's no cord to it. And I'm not quite sure where it plugs in, but here you go. So you outline all of those little details because at that point I had to run to Radio Shack to buy a cord and uh, in order for my performance to be successful. And there's no way I can scream for a thousand people to make the show successful. True enough. Now the late Ralphie May who was oh, a runner-up from? Oh my goodness! He, he was runner-up from the first season of Last Comic Standing. Uh, you have uh, some good interactions, and you were a big supporter of his. Uh, not only a supporter, Ralphie and I. Uh, I saw him. Uh, well, first, uh, Ralphie and I met at a place called the Comedy Showcase in Houston, Texas, where I was performing. He was always introduced as uh, the man that's going to be big one day, uh, which uh, he already was. He was hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but. What an amazing uh, personality. When I opened the club, uh, I brought in Ralphie. uh, Like I said, he was my opening act for many years from all across Texas, Oklahoma. I'm just trying to think where we travel together. He had a flat tire, and I didn't have uh, money at some point to uh, replace it. uh, So I I gave him money uh, until the end of the week to uh, pay me back to get the tire replaced, so stuff like that. We became friends uh, over the years. So when I booked him, it was to open the club, and uh, I couldn't book him uh, just for one week uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, being a big guy, he would need a few seats uh, to uh, just fly, and uh, he wasn't flying easily. He drove all the way from Houston 
uh, at that point in time, he lived in Houston, to Toronto, and I booked him for three weeks. And uh, what an amazing talent. I'm thrilled to what he has become over the years. Uh, sadly, he died in Vegas. But when uh, Ralphie was on stage, it was like a roller coaster uh, running through. Uh, you grab on and hit, you hang on. It, well, it was probably one of the most beautiful things to experience. A uh, Another huge name and a huge Toronto legend is Howie Mandel. He showed up one day at Comedy Wood asking to go on stage. <laughs> and uh, you'll tell us that. But also, I think he is, a, of course, a noted germaphobe. Uh, he'll only bump fists. He won't shake hands. But Boris, I believe you were present for the incident that pushed him to fist bumping only. Uh, yes, I... I, I, I... I, I can't say that enough. Howie uh, keeps changing his persona, his look. Uh, over the years, it went from the, the bushy hairstyle uh, with tons of curls to uh, completely no hair. There was goatees. There was uh, everything from uh, beard. So at that point in time, he actually changed his look and uh, showed up at the club if I'm not mistaken, on a uh, Wednesday night. So it was a slower night where the club is not full. We're uh, talking uh, 50, 100 people in the audience in a 400-seat room. Makes it look really uh, empty, but uh, we made sure that the room uh, was conducive to uh, making a small amount of people look large. Uh, Yet he shows up and talks to the bar manager uh, saying, yeah, I'd like to go on. He was not recognized. Howie uh, did not look like uh, normally you would see a Howie on TV. The bar manager was uh, actually asking him, uh, so have you ever been on uh, (laughs) an open mic night before? Do you have any material? And all that kind of stuff. Somebody else recognized him. The cook, who uh, happened to have been sitting at the bar at the time, ran to uh, the office and I happened to have been in town that day. Uh, I think it's Howie Mandel at the bar, and I don't know uh, if uh, the bar manager knows who he is and uh, won't let him on stage. So I woke out, recognized Howie, and uh, yes, Howie goes on stage just because he's funny. He is a legend. Uh, he was a legend back then. His legendary status grew as the year, uh, years went on, especially uh, oh, everybody that is listening to this in Toronto knows somebody who knows Howie Mandel. <laughs> That's uh, so right. If not, you've heard a story about Howie Mandel. For sure. And in the same way that, you know, life goes around, uh, you, Boris, eventually went to Los Angeles for the Howie Mandel show. Uh, at the, your first appearance, your fellow guests were Arsenio Hall and Ileana Douglas. Uh, this must have been interesting for you to be in the studio that they taped the Howie Mandel show at. Oh, are you kidding me? Uh, and uh, this uh, goes way back. As a 19-year-old, when I graduated uh, from college, my parents uh, gave me a little bit of money uh, and sent me uh, uh, to stay with our friends in California. Uh, At that uh, point, I made my way to Los Angeles uh, because the friends were in San Diego and it's a couple hours away. Not only did I get to be on movie sets, uh, visiting movie sets, uh, I was uh, walking in the middle of the night. I got a chance to be an extra. But one of the big things uh, was... And I'm a big fan, always have been, of uh, The Tonight Show uh, with Johnny Carson. I got to visit the Johnny Carson set. And back then, uh, you line up. I'm sure you still do. You go at 5 in the morning to uh, the studio to wait for the line to get the free tickets. And then you wait in the second line to get into the uh, audience because, the let's say, the uh, 
studio houses 500 people, but they give away 700 tickets. So if you're not uh, in the line front and center, you might not be getting in. So I was one of those kids. I have to see Johnny Carson. I'm here already. And I got to see the Johnny Carson uh, studio live and taping and in person over the years on many, many occasions. Well, years later, I get to uh, film the Howie Bendel show. And that's filmed where? In the Johnny Carson studio in uh, NBC in Burbank. Oh, how exciting is that? I'm on the same stage. And one thing a producer uh, told me, and I did not realize it back then, but looking back, look around and make sure you enjoy yourself. Have fun. It's great. And I've uh, come into that studio quite a few times since then. I I actually uh, uh, have returned to the Howie Mandel show because uh, the ratings were so great. uh, They brought me right back. Uh, Literally a month later, I came in for the second appearance. Sadly, they canceled the show. So, uh, But you know uh, how he's resilient and uh, keeps moving and uh, going forward. And uh, actually, I will touch on that. The question that I'm often asked, uh, did you know Howie and that's how you got on the show? No. Just like anybody else, I sent in my tape. And back in those days, it was a VHS tape Mm -hmm. that uh, would be looked at by producers and completely unrelated. So I got on that show of my own merit rather than knowing somebody, uh, which uh, is a bigger coup uh, as far as I'm uh, concerned. But uh, that studio, the Howie Mandel show was taped at. Uh, I've appeared a second time on the Howie Mandel show. An amazing, amazing experience uh, just to come in and roam those halls. Everybody from Johnny Carson uh, to uh, all of the others. Right now, it's a studio that I guess is rented by production companies. So uh, just to go into the back from the makeup uh, room to everywhere else where, uh, you know, the big stars would be sitting there uh, talking uh, shop while they're putting the makeup on them. But Howie, and I will uh, give you a little uh, motivational thing. Uh, This is going back where Howie, uh, I was upset because uh, I would have been a regular on Howie Mandel's show with the segments. I got a chance to create something interesting and fun, and uh, they liked it, and the people watching it liked it. Uh, So I'm having lunch at some point in time with Howie Mandel and his right hand, Rich Thurber, handles all of his uh, road stuff. And I was complaining. I really was. I can't believe the show got canceled. And the words that came out of Howie's uh, mouth were, everything ends. And that, to this day, is a motivation that, uh, yes, you have to keep reinventing yourself. Not only do you reinvent yourself, you move forward. You never stay stagnant. Uh, It's a matter of being somebody who just pushes uh, ahead. You got to keep pushing ahead. And the, the other big studio that you're in was uh, Maury Povich. And of course, we all know Maury's long running TV show and all the excitement that came with every episode. Boris, you were his guy with relation to certain phobias. How did you become a regular on uh, on Maury's show? <laughs> uh, that is another story in itself. Uh, I got a call one day, uh, well, as a performer, a part of uh, getting ahead, like I'm talking about, is uh, sending out tapes. Well, right now, things change and everything is done by email uh, and links. Uh, back in uh, those days, it was sending a videotape, a promo package, follow-ups. Where did you get a chance to see it? So we're talking uh, a long, long process. I used to do this on a daily basis where 
things got not only sent out, but uh, my job is to promote me. Uh, I might be uh, as good as they say on paper, but uh, let me show you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best way to show it uh, was on television. Uh, and I sent uh, tapes to uh, all of the talk shows at the time. I still do. Uh, I still uh, make a point of uh, whether it's a publicist doing it, you're uh, you doing it, uh, it's just a matter of doing the same thing. So one day I get a phone call. Uh, well, I didn't get a phone call. My wife picked it up and uh, picks up the phone and uh, hands the phone to me. Uh, saying, uh, this guy is saying uh, he's a producer for the Maury Povich show. Uh, and uh, yeah, right. It's probably uh, your friend Ofer who uh, would do this constantly. And uh, that's always uh, his uh, way of keeping me grounded, if uh, you like, who uh, would call me up and say, I'm a producer for this uh, uh, talk show, just because he knew that's what I do uh, on a daily and weekly basis. So I uh, basically uh, was talking to the real producer of the Maury Povich show, as in, uh, John Pascarella, who's uh, now a huge, huge producer uh, for a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But uh, I was on the phone with him. Yeah, right. You can uh, take the accent off and uh, uh, what's up? How are things going? No, no, I'm really the producer for the Maury Povich show. Okay, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and we went on uh, with that for a while, yet... Uh, I finally was able to establish that, yeah, it's the real deal. Uh, Okay, what can we do now? And that's how I uh, became the guy for uh, the phobia segment for the show, Maury. It's uh, almost was too good to be true. And uh, that was the one time I could not believe that a real producer was calling me. But they have developed a little scenario where people with outrageous phobias were brought on the talk show. Uh, and have uh, somebody with the knowledge of hypnosis fix them. Uh, And my job is literally to make them handle whatever they are terrified of by the end of the the show, which was filmed in two parts. The morning was them filming what a person is afraid of, how are they afraid of, I guess it's a formula, and uh, give them to me for a couple hours uh, to deal with. Uh, and then uh, we filmed the second part where they bring out whatever ter- they were terrified of. And uh, talking about what they're terrified of, people afraid of cotton balls, chicken, gum, flowers. So anything unusual, that would be uh, the case where uh, they show the debilitating phobia and uh, how it can be fixed in such a short period of time. So I became the voice of the people. It's not really what I do, by the way, uh, but I became a reason for somebody to find salvation uh, and find a way to fix whatever they were terrified of. Just like the lady with balloons who had kids, the balloon phobia, she would not take her kids to birthday parties. For somebody to uh, be able to continue living or a lady who would not walk outside because she was scared of birds. Well, one of the things that the general audience would perceive about the Maury Povich show was that it's fake fights, Faked outrage, everything's faked. You were there. You're behind the scenes. Was there? <laughs> Not only was I there, uh, I actually got to witness. Uh, just like I told you, uh, the shows were filmed in two parts. What they did in this uh, part that I was dealing with them, uh, with the people uh, from my se- uh, my show, they would film another performance. And there's a, a ton of different green rooms, so I got a chance to hear the screaming in the back rooms that was also <laughs> being filmed. Uh, Yes, no, I did not sleep with uh, 30 people like they said. It was only my 
maybe about 25. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that kind of stuff where it is real. These people, uh, the way it works, if you have something like this, talk to the show now. They're on a plane heading to wherever it's being filmed pretty well the following day or uh, two days later. It's that quick, that exciting. I usually would get a, a phone call, are you available uh, these days or these days, and when you can come in. And that's normally within a week when uh, they uh, put the production together, and that's how it worked. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview, please check out the more than 100 additional episodes available anytime. We've got Bernie Nichols, Donovan Bailey, Wes Hall, Paul Reiser, and Terry O'Reilly. So many great behind-the-scenes stories directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. You've uh, also had interactions, Boris, with Penn and Teller. You've gone backstage. Now, Teller, of course, doesn't say anything on stage, but apparently offstage, he's quite the uh, chatty Cathy. Oh, wow. Probably one of the most brilliant people I have met in my life. The man is an ex-English teacher and knows history and uh, is so well-versed. Teller is unbelievable as far as uh, his depth of knowledge. We talked about hypnosis. Uh, we talked about so many uh, different things that uh, Teller would uh, just jump into and want your opinion. It makes you feel important while you're talking to him. Now, Penn, on the other hand, oh, my God, now that's a mouthpiece for the whole duo. He can handle everything <laughs> and uh, opinionate it. And let me tell you something. And I was uh, right. That's and uh, tell her for the quiet and uh, uh, unusual person, a pleasure to talk to. I uh, cannot say that enough. I spent hours and hours with uh, Teller, and uh, I've uh, gone backstage on many occasions. And uh, uh, Penn and Teller, I can see why they have gelled for so so many years. Uh, they uh, complement each other to the point where. One starts talking, the other one doesn't need to finish. And that's where Teller comes in. Well, they're famous, of course, for their residencies in Las Vegas. And so, Boris, I want to ask you, have you ever considered doing kind of a residency in a Las Vegas casino or even our own casinos here? We got Rama and Falls View in Ontario. I actually have performed in many. I've performed everywhere from Vegas to uh, the, the Falls View. So, yes, I have been there. Uh, one of the uh, coolest things about being a performer is a room is a room. It doesn't really make a difference where it is. Uh, for me, it has always been about the audience. Uh, you make them feel part of your show and uh, it's their show. It's not about me. It's about uh, what they walk around with. I literally, I created a career on a hobby and word of mouth. And uh, it's amazing to what extent people remember you. Uh, if you made a difference in their day, in their life. And uh, thankfully, I've been around long enough, and I now get a chance to meet, meet the kids of the people who came to see me as Yeah. And across Canada, personally, I have uh, gone from coast to coast being one of the orientation performers for the colleges and universities. Uh, so that's been uh, the beauty and the love where there's thousands thousands and thousands of people in the audience. It's their maybe first week at school, and uh, they have an activity that uh, gives them a chance to literally experience 
something worthwhile and a bonding moment with somebody that you hit on your on the arm did you see that so uh, i absolutely love part of it that's a great point actually because that takes me all the way back to my orientation week at western <laughs> i guess it's 30 years ago now it's hard to believe but we had mike mandel show up and that leads me to my question to you friends enemies or frenemies with another noted hypnotist mike mandel uh, we, uh, for years, have been uh, uh, cordial uh, for the simple reason we don't have time to spend with one another. I did for many years, uh, over 300 shows a year, uh, and we're talking coast to coast. So whether it's uh, Mike or anybody else, great admirer, uh, yet I did not have enough time to spend with any of the other guys because I was in, on a stage somewhere, on a plane somewhere. At this point in time, I, I just received uh, a little accommodation over a million miles in the air. So that should tell you oh, as boy. far as how far I have uh, gone. But I'm on a stage most times. I am a big fan of anything live uh, that has a specifically comedy in it uh, or any type of uh, amazing stuff. Like I told you, uh, even in comedy wood, I was able to recognize some superstars uh, that are today way back when, when they weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, I can go through uh, like some Canadian names that uh, have gone uh, through uh, my room have been everybody. Uh, Frank Spadone, uh, who I uh, remember uh, at some point in time, we were instrumental with putting them, uh, putting him on a tour with Joe Avati, Jerry D that you would uh, recognize uh, that's all over television. Deborah Di Giovanni, uh, one of my run Josel, who has credited uh, the place with, being the first uh, place to step on stage, on uh, a comedy uh, stage, uh, who uh, just recently uh, was doing a world tour. And last I saw, if I was not mistaken, he was in the Philippines just recently. So uh, that's Adam Grow, Cash Cab. Uh, so all of those uh, people, I'm just going through. Ennis Esmer, if you recognize any of uh, those names, Ennis was... Uh, in a little TV show on Netflix, uh, the Doo-Wops, John Catucci was doing a food show on the Food Network. Uh, Dave Mary, who's a huge producer now, uh, Adam Powell, who is a producer for a show called Out There with Melissa DeMarco, uh, Ryan Belleville. And I'm just going through the names uh, in my head. Uh, Steve Patterson, uh, talking about uh, the radio, uh, the, the debaters. Uh, so. Any of those names, some of them have started, got stage time, and I just can keep naming them. I'm so proud of all of their achievements, but I'm not their talent. Their talent is theirs. Well, as a uh, club owner, I want to ask you about your relationship with a fellow comedy club owner, Mark Breslin, and his Yuck Yucks empire. Were they competitors, or was it kind of collegial? Would you share people, or everyone's got, got their own talent? Oh, uh, uh, well... We shared some talent, uh, yet in the beginning, uh, what I did first, Yuck Yucks has a different style that I was bringing to Toronto, and uh, I wanted to completely differentiate ourselves from Yuck Yucks. If you want, go see both, but you will see something completely different. Uh, first of all, I, my club was in the suburbs, uh, the first club, Bathurst and Steels, and uh I wanted to make sure that the grandmother and the granddaughter would come in and uh, be able to enjoy themselves together. So that was the gauge. Uh, so I was booking for the audience rather than myself most of the time and uh, brought in some 
really a cool act specifically for that. Well, uh, speaking about the other clubs, I came in uh, and brought all of my stuff to to Yuck Yucks to go see Gilbert Gottfried. So uh, it was literally an olive branch in the same sense where we're in the same business uh, that uh, there's no interference. Your format is one way I'm bringing something new. I brought in a lot of American acts, uh, even initially, specifically not to interfere with uh, what Mark was doing and uh, to create my own. Because my open mic nights were a way to develop young talent that, like I said, were young, they were ambitious, and I was giving them the stage. Because just like me, I didn't have one. Here's the stage. You're funny. Go do it. And yeah. uh, that's the way I looked at it. Uh, the whole place was developed. So uh, competition-wise, not really. Yet there was competitions for younger acts. I uh, dealt with that uh, in my way. But one thing that I made a point of is if you work this room and you're not a headliner, you have to work clean. So there was no <laughs> profanity, no this. I had acts who literally walked off uh, saying, if I can't uh, say uh, this, uh, then I'm not working here. Well, there's... And that's uh, that was my attitude. But over the years, I actually taught them how to work clean and be versatile. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that's the main reason why many of them are successful is because they're able to deliver something that did not hold them back. Because I think even profanity becomes a crutch. It becomes time filler that's completely unnecessary. As a comedian, initially you start with, you got three minutes, you got seven minutes, you got five minutes. Anything that you say... Outside of that uh, is a time waster, at least in my book, uh, yeah. where uh, every word should uh, should count and not be a punchline. Well, of all the lessons you've learned, you're still putting them forward today. You have a book. You can do anything. Where can we best uh, get this book if people want to know more about your philosophies and your story? Oh, well, the book is available on Amazon, and it's uh, uh, actually kind of cool. Uh, during the pandemic, I had nothing better to do. So I narrated the books, and it's now available on Audible. So if you don't read, uh, if you don't uh, feel like reading, if you drive long distances, something for you to do, you can uh, get it on Audible and listen to it. It's me uh, literally narrating uh, everything that I wrote. Uh, I actually, uh, remembering and recording this uh, over and over again, uh, brought back uh, a few smiles to of my face, uh, just because uh, as you get uh, on, you forget stuff. And uh, the story is just like what we were talking about, makes it uh, worthwhile. And I can't believe I did that. Like, uh, <laughs> literally, one story that's in the book. I, I won't spoil this for you, uh, but uh, I talked about how we travel a lot uh, as performers. And uh, my wife, for most of uh, my life, has booked my flights and uh, she would do stuff. Uh, well, uh, as I walked through the airport at one point in time, people kept asking me if uh, they can help me. Can I help you? Can I help you? All right. Uh, no, I don't need any help. Thanks. And I keep moving on. The next uh, checkpoint I would come to, can I help you? Apparently, my wife checked off somewhere along the lines that uh, I'm uh, blind and need assistance. So, oh, boy. Uh, talking about a sense of humor, uh, thankfully, it stays, uh, stays even in my family. <laughs> Well, as we close up, I want to ask, what is the incredible Boris up to? Uh, what are you working on these days? Well, I'm uh, working. I'm actually uh, traveling uh, just about uh, to take off. I'm in uh, Florida right now, uh, about to uh, perform in uh, Boca Raton. 
yet uh, just about to get uh, on a plane straight after that uh, to head to Alabama and then straight from Alabama back to uh, Toronto for a, uh, a bunch of shows in Canada. So uh, traveling, I, I still am coming to wherever you may be and uh, loving every second of it. I slowed down a little bit uh, over the years, but not as much. <laughs> well, that's great. And we can follow you and know what you're up to. What's the best way for us? Oh, very easy. Incredibleboris.com. I actually uh, stuck with the name uh, even for the website. Uh, so incredible. <laughs> uh, if people still remember it, Incredible Boris. Excellent. And of course, they can watch videos and see samples of your performance and see uh, exactly what you do. Oh, yeah. And uh, not only that, uh, from YouTube channels, everything uh, that I have done just for branding purposes has become Incredible Boris over the years. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. And I want to wish you uh, continued success. Andrew, such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm uh, really humbled being uh, called sort of a legend, but uh, (laughs) find something you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Great words to close on. To our listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of the incredible Boris Cherniak, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.